0: the ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit Ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludi.:
1: The Art of Shepherding, a study in the supremely challenging skill of heavenly headship. Introducing the Shepherd. In modern days, the days in which we don't really have shepherds, I know that they exist. Okay, we have, I saw a shepherd taking care of some sheep uh, over yonder. I'm not sure if they function the same way, but I know that they exist. And some of you in here have told me that you've watched over sheep, and I'm guessing your description would have been a shepherd. Okay, so I know that it exists, but it's not common. Would we all agree on that? And most of us haven't done it as a job description. And so we don't recognize in the historical sense, being called a shepherd is not a compliment. Being called a shepherd would be very low in the social status. And so it could be construed as a put down. Okay, so that's what's extra interesting that Jesus calls himself a shepherd. And then basically says, I'm going to build the church and I'm going to raise you up to be shepherds within the church. It's like, excuse me, this isn't necessarily the most complimentary dialogue here. Introducing the shepherd. He's the guy in charge of the sheep pen. Introducing the shepherd's assignment. Listen to this. To keep out the wolves, to comfort the sheep. He has two sides to his role, which I want to draw to the surface again. If you've heard me teach over the years, you're going to recognize this, but you have to realize I've taught it over the years, and I need to freshly recognize it. So there's nothing wrong with bringing back those truths that are latent. They're there, but sometimes you just need to Refocus on them and remember them. A a, a shepherd is not just there to bring comfort to sheep, he's also there to whack the wolves. But he's also not just there to whack wolves, he's also there to comfort the sheep. Usually, we specialize, every single one of us is bent towards one or the other. Some of us are like, I love to whack those wolves. (laughs) And other ones are like, I can't believe those wolf whackers out there. They're always whacking wolves. Why aren't they hugging the sheep? And yet, a good leader, a good shepherd, knows how to dexterously balance the two. You remove one of those two, and you're a bad shepherd. The little known fact about shepherds, I want you guys to catch this, and I want every shepherd in here, because we have a lot of them in here, their job is really quite difficult. Some of you have experienced that, but you can feel very alone as a shepherd. Like, see if I can revisit a moment in your life. I remember when Hudson was first born, which was uh, 13 and a half years ago now. And I remember actually having the thought that there was a conspiracy to get me to have a baby so that my entire life would just shut down and I would be non-functional. And I remember thinking, I could hardly survive those first few weeks. I mean, I was just, I was thinking of other parents and I was like, how did they do this? But then I felt bad. It's like, obviously, they seem fine. I just saw them at church, and they were smiling. So somehow they're able to do this, so there's no way I'm not going to be able to do it. I have to be able to do this. It was a lot of pressure on it. But when you are in a shepherd position, it's a similar type of awakening. It's like weight just suddenly is on your shoulder. People, see, when you're one of the gang, you can engage with other people as one of the gang. The moment you become a leader... Is the moment you become the problem maker. It's like, yeah, if, if anyone has a complaint, yeah, it's that guy. Who's in charge here? Uh, I am. Ah, you! And so as a result, you find things falling on your shoulders that wouldn't have otherwise fallen on your shoulders. You were the one sticking it on someone else's shoulder. Now it's on your shoulders. And it's a weird awakening. It's important for the shepherd to recognize that, that it's not actually supposed to be deemed odd. And strange when greater weight comes on your shoulders. See, a lot of us are like, hey, I didn't sign up for this. When in actuality, you did. When you agreed and submitted to God, you were saying, yes, I'm willing to carry those greater weights. Yes, I will bear that cross. So yes, you did sign up. But it's also important for all those around the shepherd to recognize that that shepherd is currently enduring greater weight than maybe you understand in your position. So here's from Smith's Bible Dictionary, a very quick description of a shepherd. In Israel, the shepherd held a subordinate position. That means under. The office of the eastern shepherd was attended with much hardship and even danger. He was exposed to the extremes of heat and cold. His food frequently consisted of the precarious supplies afforded by nature, such as locusts and wild honey. He had to encounter the attacks of wild beasts, occasionally of the larger species, such as lions, panthers, and bears. Nor was he free from the risk of robbers or predator hordes. Yeah, sign me up. Who wants that job? It's a thankless job, too. No one even sees it. You could save your sheep from the the mouth of a hungry lion and guess, no one's there to pat you on the back. Oftentimes, your family is somewhere else, and you're out by yourself living in caves. No one's there to thank you for it. You come back and you're missing a sheep and guess what? Then they're mad. However, if you come back with the allotment of sheep you went out with, no one says thank you. They just expect that. That's a hard job. And it usually went to the youngest boy in the family too. I'm not saying there weren't shepherdesses too. Yes, there were. However, the youngest, the lowest, the least got this job. Ugh. There are dud shepherds and there are good shepherds. So I put that umlaut over the U uh, just to sort of give the ud and ud. See, that's Eric humor. You guys might not appreciate it. I see at least there were three of you out there like, I like it. I like it. <laughs> the dud shepherd. The dud shepherd shows passivity towards the wolves and in so doing betrays his precious sheep. You see, a lot of us under the banner of comforting the sheep and saying, hey, I'm a pro-sheep shepherd. I'm going to love my sheep. That's going to be what I'm going to do because I've seen these other shepherds that whack wolves. I'm not going to be a whacker. I'm going to be a lover. However, when you're a lover and you let the the wolves do what they want in in your midst, meanwhile, you're loving the sheep. You're actually not loving your sheep. You're not protecting them because as a shepherd... You're given strength, a very specific strength, to wield on behalf of your sheep. The famous quote of the dud shepherd. This is actually a rather common quote throughout the years. Woman, I'm the head of this household, so I'll do what I want. Burp. Scratch. So this is the dud who who says, hey, this is my job description. I'm the head of the home. And so as a result, woman, you submit to me, I get to do whatever I want. So he sits around and does whatever he wants. That actually isn't what the Bible teaches, even close to what the Bible teaches. The head doesn't just get to do whatever he wants. The head has the greater responsibility. The head is the one that needs to take on the lion and the bear, and in this case, the panther, according to definition. So now uh, that umlaut... Uh, over the U is going to really help us to say the good shepherd. Okay? So this is the good shepherd. The good shepherd stands up against the wolves and in so doing preserves the life of his sheep. So as a result, there is a, a need and a requirement for every shepherd to know how to distinguish between that which is threatening his sheep and that which is the sheep. Because we can get those things mixed up too. So Jesus in John 10 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So we just got a definition right there of a good shepherd. It's of course the perfect model, capital S, shepherd, Jesus. And what does Jesus do? How does he prove the goodness of his shepherding? Well, he loves his sheep so much that he will lay down his life for them. The famous quote of the good shepherd, honey... As the head of this household, I take the blame for the weaknesses of this family, the impediments in our communications as a couple, and the fact that our kids are not heavenly-minded throughout the day. You know that it's hard for most men to say that? We usually, as men, if our families are a little rough around the edges and they're not really thriving the way they should, we oftentimes want to point at other things. Okay, classic thing for a man to do. Hey, I'm out there working hard so I can provide for this family. You can't put this all on me. Okay. I mean, I just quoted 95% of men that probably spoken in the last week because women seem to have a sense of what is needed for order and for protection in their home. They're, they're very conscientious of these things. And I'm not saying that women are doing it all right either. When they point at the man and say, Hey, you're not doing your job. But then the man already has this built-in justification of why it's not his responsibility. And so as a result, we really didn't get anywhere, did we? All we did was have a little squabble, and we had the self-justification on the man's side, and we had the nagging on the woman's side, and we really didn't accomplish anything. So as the head, the good shepherd will. So let's see what the good shepherd would do. He would take the blame. Oh, boy, that's a hard thing for any guy to do. I didn't do that. There's no way I'm taking blame for it. A good shepherd is willing to take the blame. Do you remember what Jesus did? He became accursed for us. He didn't do it, and yet he bore it. Whoa, we just got an example there, guys, of a good shepherd. He took the blame, even though he is not the offending party. He took the loss, even though he's not the one who made the mistake. Takes the hit, even though the bullet was aimed at someone else took the pain, even though he was wholly guiltless in the situation. Good shepherd stuff right there. Is it, does it seem just? It seems very unjust, doesn't it? In other words, that's not right. Why would someone who isn't responsible, who didn't do the actual deed, why would he bear the penalty? That's a good question. If Jesus doesn't do that for us, his bride, we're goners. In other words, this model needs to transcend the church. This is how it works. You see, you don't just tell the woman to submit and get in her place and then the man burps and scratches his way through life. The man is willing to give up his life, lay down his life. He's willing to take the lowest place to give life to his bride. As the head, the good shepherd will, go without food that his sheep may have their bellies full. He would go without a blanket that his sheep may be kept warm. He would go without breath that his sheep may live to breathe another day. That's a pretty profound picture, guys. What I'm describing is Jesus Christ. However, what I'm also describing is what every single one of us needs to clothe ourselves in. Needs to allow the Holy Spirit to raise up within us. This is the behavior of the life of Christ. This is who he is. And so as a body, as we begin to function... We showcase something. We showcase the Good Shepherd. Distinguishing between the two shepherd models. John 10 again, I am the Good Shepherd, says Jesus. The Good Shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now he's going to give a contrast. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. So when a shepherd doesn't actually care about the sheep, maybe he gets paid for what he does. Maybe he just gets a tax deduction for it. In other words, he doesn't actually have that love, that depth of affection, that deep care for his sheep. Then when the struggles come, when the attacks come, what does he do? He flees. Or, as happens to most men, they become passive. They get busy with work. They get distracted with something, whether it be sports or hunting. There's something else that they can pour themselves into, and they can justify it with Scripture to say, Hey, woman, submit to me. I have something I need to get to. And as a result, they don't perform the work, the life of the good shepherd. What sort of shepherds are we? Likely we are the good sort in the making, but ones who are still prone to dud behavior. You identify with that? It's called sanctification. In other words, we're not done, we're not finished. However, when you hear a message like this, you can always tell sort of what side you're on by the fact that you're like, I really want to be the good one. <laughs> I, but you're also identifying with some of my dud descriptions, like, oh no, am I a dud? Well, you might have dud potential still lingering inside of you, dud propensities, but that doesn't mean you're a dud. You're a good with dud potentials and and propensities. You're prone to dud behavior. So how do we eliminate the dud behavior? So in teaching my kids how to ride a bike, it's, it's it's an odd thing because once you ride a bike, you don't think about balance. You just do it. It's, I've always been fascinated by that. And as my kids are growing up, you know, I teach one kid to ride a bike and then I realize the next one still needs to learn. It's like, whoa, man, you have to keep teaching this stuff. And it's interesting because every new kid that gets on, they're just all over the place, wobbly. And they are prone to one side or the, or, or the other. You know, there's a ditch over here and then there's traffic over here. The same is true with us. And as a shepherd, when we first start riding the bike of shepherdhood, we have a tendency, we're prone to going one way or the other. It's the same thing. And we need to actually gain the same balance as a little child needs to gain a balance on a bike. We need to gain the balance in our shepherding. So finding that strange and inexplicable balance between falling into the ditch on the right and falling into the traffic on the left. The art of parenting. Practicing good shepherding by listening to the tap of the heavenly shepherd's rod upon our fluffy backside there is an art of knowing how to wield strength in parenting and knowing how to wield softness in parenting and when you're not a parent it probably sounds really easy it's just like i'm going to be a great parent i am never going to discipline out of anger i I could i know some of you have already resolved to do that i'm going to discipline perfect all these parents you know they get frustrated with their children but kids are so cute If I have a cute kid, I would never do that. And so there's this thought uh, that we will just naturally gravitate towards good parenting when in actuality we naturally gravitate towards dud parenting. We just do. We have a propensity of selfishness. And when a child comes out, they threaten our space, our time, our sleep, our economy. It's like this child costs a small fortune. And as a result, we have a tendency to self-protect, to self-justify. Why? We could only give a little out here and instead of splurge and give that much. And so as a result, it tests us, and as most parents have said very accurately, it sanctifies us. A child exposes degrees of selfishness that still lie dormant or latent inside of us as individuals. So does marriage, by the way. I'm not, I shouldn't skip marriage. Marriage is the same thing. Marriage is different, though, in how you approach it. You approach it with this romantic you know, season of falling in love, and then you get married, you have a honeymoon. You don't see it immediately. Whereas with children, whoa, they pop out and you get no sleep. And I tell you what, it brings it immediately to the surface. You know, when Leslie says something like, could you get up and help the baby? Well, I'm, the, I'm the father. I thought fathers could sleep during this time. In other words, it tests it. It brings it right to the surface and forces you to evaluate. Did I handle that correctly? I actually think I was very selfish in that situation. I remember one of the greatest steps forward in my spiritual life that I ever had was first child, and Hudson had extreme acid reflux, and uh, there was something else he was struggling with at the same time. And I remember I told Leslie she hadn't gotten sleep for, I mean, I don't know what it was. Two two months, and uh, so I said I hadn't gotten sleep either. But I said I want you to get a good night's sleep. You go into the other room, and I'll t- I'll, I'll take. I mean, I even had a tough time getting it out. I'd already resolved, you know, my prayer time. I was going to do it. And then I got there, I was like, ah, and then I remember I, I did it. I, I said I'm going to do this, and I was just scared uh, to do. I mean. And my self-issue meter was like, eh, eh, eh. it's like, Eric, take care of yourself. You had to put something on her shoulders. You can't carry this yourself. And I, I mean, I was really, and even that whole night, it was possibly ranked as one of the worst nights ever. I could just see God going, "Let's let's see how uh, true you really are." But it was, you know, for me, just in hindsight, it was a breakthrough. I made it up the next morning, and I recognized that as I moved forward in obedience, even though I was weak, God gave me grace. That's what I needed to see. That a good shepherd is going to be called to do things that are hard and harder than he even considers himself able to accomplish. But as he simply says yes and moves forward, God gives grace to be the shepherd. So I'm going to give you a secret to what I would... Call a breakthrough in my own leadership. Okay, now some of you may not like my leadership, and I would I would be right there with you to say my leadership has a lot of refinement that is needed. Okay. But I have been refined a lot. There's just more needed. And so you could focus on what's needed, or you could work with me here and say, okay, Eric, praise God for the fact that he has worked on you up to this point. But here's what I'm gonna call it I'm gonna call it being presidential. And I still remember the key moment, I was down in Orlando, Florida, and I had a very challenging issue I had to address, and I wanted someone else to address it. I didn't want to have to address it. It's like that big, hairy spider, and someone says, hey, there's a big, hairy spider down in Harper's room. Oh, that's too bad. (laughs) And I want someone else to say, hey, I'll take care of that, and everyone's running into the class, where is it? I'm going to the farthest end of the house away from it. And daddy's left there. And I'm thinking, no, I don't want that job. I hate spiders just like everyone else. However, it's my job. It's time to act presidential. <laughs> so to act presidential means to recognize that the buck stops with you. That you can't offsource it to someone else. This is not a point of delegation. This is a point where you have to act. You can't delegate the big decisions. You have to own them. You can't delegate the big hairy spider, you have to be willing to address it. And that was the breakthrough in my life. I'll still remember, I stood up in the living room and I decided I have to do this. This is my job and I will not shirk it. And it was a watershed in my life. When I finally didn't try and put it off or excuse myself or come up with a creative justification because it was difficult, and this was very difficult, But I stood up and I said, all right, I accept it. And it was a breakthrough in my life. So the beginnings of good shepherding. When you step forward in good shepherding, you get a rod. Okay? Now, a rod is a symbol of multiple things in Scripture. If any of you have ever heard my teaching on canon, you'll recognize uh, this. But it's for correction. It's for comfort. Remember Psalm 23? Uh, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort. Then it's for also authority and rule. It can be used for measurement as well. But when you get a rod of authority as a shepherd, that rod is used for two things. This rod is a great tool to whack wolves. And it's also a great tool to comfort sheep. And you can say, how does a rod comfort? Actually, that rod helps steer and brings comfort because as you tap your sheep, they know your presence, and they, you're constantly reminding them, stay, stay on the path. It actually brings comfort to know that someone is watching over you. And so as a result, it brings comfort, but it can also bring correction. So when you are entrusted with this, and I remember when I was entrusted with it, if any of you have ever heard the story of me rising up and having that manly strength and vigor sort of begin to emerge in my life, uh, Leslie puts her hand upon me in a prayer time and says, "God, make my man to pray like a man." Thirty seconds later, I had a prayer that came out of me that was foreign to these lips before that, and it was the beginnings of something. I started preaching after that. I didn't even—I'd never even heard anyone preach in my life—and I started speaking with authority, speaking with force. I felt it at a deeper level, and so I come out and I have this new strength this new sense of authority, that I need to be wielding the strength. I need to be rebuking devils. I shouldn't just take this guff from the enemy kingdom. I stand here, sort of like Gandalf. You will not pass. That's exactly what was going on inside. And I remember seeing that scene. I was like, yeah, like that. And yet, the first thing I began to do, and it wasn't like some horrendous crime, but... Leslie would say something and whack. Uh, I found myself wanting to whack everything. So Leslie said something like she was struggling with anxiety or something. Whack! We don't allow anxiety in this house. And I recognized that it took me a while. Leslie was sort of like, what is this? It took me a while to recognize what I was doing. I was misappropriating and missing the difference between wolves and sheep. And so I found myself whacking a sheep under the banner of being the good shepherd. And that's where this comes in. Oops, I think I just beat up one of my sheep. (laughs) The awkward first steps of wielding the rod as a weapon. Being presidential, but being a gentle president. The rod that drives away the wolves is the rod that also comforts the sheep. The same authority, the same position that we've been given can be wielded two different ways. And if we wield it incorrectly, you, know, you can fill in the blank of what that means. Because that is the greatest harm. The church of Jesus Christ has hurt probably more people than almost anything on earth. And yet, what is the instrument God has chosen to bring comfort and life to this world? The church. You see, we have misappropriated our rod. Our rod. We've been given strength, but we've misused that strength to whack when we were supposed to comfort. And we've likely comforted when we were supposed to whack. And that balance between the two is what I'm bringing up today. The weaker vessel phenomenon. Now, even bringing that up made some of you uncomfortable. Weaker vessel, boy. uh, I, I didn't come up with scripture. I didn't write it. I'm just bringing it up. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So the fact that the Bible itself refers to the woman as the weaker vessel also infers that the man is the stronger vessel. And that isn't to say that there aren't women on this earth that, can beat, that can't beat up men. I know, I, you know, there are some mighty tough women out there. And to call them weak might mean you're on the floor staring up at them, okay? So it's not an issue of strength or physical prowess or ability to hi That isn't the issue. The issue is one of makeup, whether it's spiritual makeup or emotional makeup, that God has built shepherds to take hits that the wives were not meant to take. There is a reason why men historically are the ones that pop the question, they're the ones that ask the lady to dance. Why? Because the men, even though we might not feel it, are more hardy and able to handle the rejection. The man is the one. If someone's going to be rejected, it should be the man. That's actually the principle throughout the years. And by the way, Jesus is the one that popped the question to you. You're the bride, and he came to you. He called you. That's the pattern, and that's where it's always come from. The strong one is always ready to take the hit, the rejection. It's not supposed to fall on the weaker vessel. But there's an interesting statement here. Dwell with them with understanding. So you imagine the shepherd. Okay, shepherd, I've given you a rod. Now, I need you to be very watchful with that rod and dwell with your sheep with understanding. And you need to recognize that they are not the one that's supposed to be struck and hit. You have been given strength. You are the stronger vessel. You're the one holding the rod, but you use that strength properly and never against them. You need to live in an understanding way. This is a sheep. Not a wolf. And as being heirs together the grace of life, listen to this, that your prayers may not be hindered. You see, when we misappropriate the strength that we've been given, it actually nullifies and hinders our effectiveness in our relationship with God. It's like stops up the grace flow. It's like turning off the the, the gate valve and suddenly, hey, I'm not getting any grace in here. We need to correct something, shepherd. And that is that you are actually hindering and harming the weaker vessel. You see, I've given you strength, but you can't use that strength to harm. You need to use that strength to help. The good shepherd does not seek fairness as an end. Now, that, that sounds... I don't know that I worded that very well. But let me see if I can say it this way. One of the greatest shock points for most men in marriage, because most men are just interested in fairness. That's the way they look at it. It's like, okay, we're having an argument here. All right? So... You're responsible for something, and I'm responsible for something. That's the way the man approaches it. And oftentimes the way it ends up happening is the woman looks at the man and says, you're responsible for something. And the man's like, I'm not the only one. And by the way, this has led to many breakdowns of communication. As opposed to a man saying, yep, you're right. No argument. Oh, that's hard, guys. That's hard, to take it and to be responsible for your part and not to imply guilt upon someone else. And to say, you're right, the way I spoke was incorrect. The good shepherd does not seek fairness as an end. That's not his goal, to say this has to be fair. We have to evenly divide this out. You're responsible for this, I'm responsible for this. Alright, I can only move forward if you accept your pile. But I can't move forward just accepting mine and you not accepting yours. He must be willing to take every hit, bear burdens all by his lonesome, endure unjust measures, and suffer indignities that are undeserved. The principle of quarterbacking, a secret gem of wisdom for husbands. This is good. The football application. If the team loses, start with the premise that it is due to your failure as a leader. You know a good quarterback of every team? Sticks his hand up in the locker room and says, Guys, that's on me because he's the leader. If, now, as a fan, you're looking at it going, no, it was a defensive back that dropped the ball. He had the perfect opportunity to catch the ball and run in for a touchdown. We would have sealed the victory. Instead, the quarterback comes in and says, guys, it was on me. He's saying, if I had done my job better, if I had executed my job better as a leader, we wouldn't have even been in that situation where you needed to pick that off and run it in for a touchdown. It's on me, guys. If your team fails, take the onus for the failure upon yourself. Lift your hand up high and say to all the fellow players in the locker room and to all the onlooking media and fans, y'all, it was my fault, I take the blame for it. So now we're gonna look at the marriage application. This is sticky, okay, this is hard, and it's easier if I was just talking to men, okay, because I don't want any women to take advantage of this. There's a certain vulnerability, but the same goes for a pastor of a church and a congregation. Because you could use this against me and our other pastors. Start with the premise that every disagreement is your fault and that restoration of a healthy relationship lies solely upon your shoulders. Bear the burden for initiating reconciliation and don't shy away from being the responsible party. Raise your hand up high into the air and say to your wife, honey, this is a result of a failure in my leadership. I take the blame for it. I know, what I'm saying is is very difficult. Now here's what I wanna encourage the wives with on this one. Don't ever take advantage of that. If you know as a wife that you have done something that created havoc, that undermines your husband, that made him feel lesser, you take onus for that the moment you see it, because you're a Christian. However, in the bigger picture of how leadership works, the leader cannot look for fairness as the end. The leader has to say, this is on me, guys. So if there's a disturbance in this body, I can't blame you first. I need to be willing to say, okay, as a leader, I need to handle this better. I should have seen that not doing this or not saying this would have led to this. Guys, this is on me. The higher degree of responsibility. With every rung of increased authority comes another rung of character, responsibility. It does seem unfair Okay, it's, you could call it unfair if you want. It's just not the right description for it. And that is every time God moves me up as far as a ring of higher authority over other people, I have greater responsibility. I may not like that. I may not like the cause of that or the effect of that. However, I need to own that. And as a result, instead of shirking it and sticking it on someone else and blaming someone else for something, I need to take it. The difficult double standard that destroys most shepherds. It does seem like a double standard. See if I can pass this on to you. There's an unspoken rule of thumb. That if you're the shepherd, you have to be perfect. Okay, now the sheep can make messes, make smells, make noises all day long. And the shepherd needs... Be gentle towards them and caring and loving. But if the shepherd makes a mistake, accidentally leaves the gate open and the wolf comes in, the shepherd has a higher level of culpability. If the shepherd makes the same noise as the other sheep make, same smells, the shepherd has a higher level of of responsibility and a greater discipline for it. Hey, they just did it too. Yeah, but you're the shepherd. And by the way, that seems like a double standard. However, that's why I'm giving this to all of us. Because every one of us that's a shepherd in here needs to embrace this at the very beginning. I have a higher level of responsibility. I, the moment I became a teacher, have a greater responsibility than the student. And as a result, I own that, embrace that, and don't want to wiggle out of it. The shepherd must be without flaw. This is how it uh, translates. While the sheep under his care are given a generous allowance of grace space. Well, they're just sheep. That's how sheep behave. You're a shepherd. And as a shepherd, we expect you to act as such. Is that incorrect? No. That's actually correct. Now, some of you that are shepherds are feeling a weight that was heavier than you came in with. It's like, what? You mean I'm actually supposed to do this perfect? Well, you cannot be perfect in and of yourselves. But you are required to live your life perfectly. You're like, "What? That's not helpful, Eric. You he didn't actually explain anything there." I'm explaining the fact that as a shepherd, you are responsible. So therefore, if you aren't perfect, you are responsible to own it and to correct it. Sometimes publicly, in fact, oftentimes publicly. And here's the way, it's a good way to evaluate a shepherd. It's not basically on perfection, but listen to this: that he is he perfectly responds to his imperfections. That's actually the greater evaluation of a shepherd. It's not that he's perfect, even though we want him to be. It's that he perfectly responds every time he realizes that he's imperfect. He's humble, in other words. The picture of good shepherding, David and his sheep. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Oh, well, was a good shepherd. David loved his sheep. You know why he was standing up against Goliath? Because he loved his sheep. You know that he was anointed as king over Israel? Who were his sheep? He sees them in the valley of Elah being threatened by this giant this blasphemous giant, who is he to mock the armies of the living God? These were his sheep. Let me add him. He went after lion, bear, and then he went after Goliath. Same movement of soul. You see, before he could be a great king, he was a great shepherd. To be a great leader, you have to train on the small things in your life. Many of us want to grow up to be influencers and impactors in our generation, but we fail to take care of our thought life and shepherd it. We fail to take care of our marriages, our families, and we want position in this world. But God gives us a different order. He says, first, take care of first things. You take care of first things, and then you'll graduate to take care of greater things. A shepherd must become an expert in two sorts of wrestling. So listen to a day in the life of a shepherd. Wrestling with his kids, he has to be gentle. Wrestling with a bear, he has to be fierce. Wrestling with his kids again, playful. Wrestling with a lion, he has to be aggressive. Wrestling with his kids, tickling. Wrestling with a wolf pack, destroying. Wow, you don't want to mix those up, guys. And that's exactly what a shepherd has to do. He has to learn that dexterity of how to wield love in its firmness and in its softness. Because it's both ends. Love is not just soft. Love is also firm. Hell is there as a statement of love as well. I know that's really hard to swallow. But God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son to spare us from that. But if he does not follow through and keep justice and separate evil from him, he is not a loving God. He still is going to protect his sheep. And anyone that chooses to reject him is literally an enemy of not just him but his sheep. He is a good shepherd. Now showing, this is like a sitcom. It could be considered a drama series, but there's probably too much humor in it to be called a drama series. Uh, I, I don't know if this is the official title. How easy it is to be a duddy daddy. Okay, that could be. I don't know if it's catchy enough, but uh, we're going to go with it. Introducing the characters Daddy, he's a, he's a good guy. The guy commissioned to be a good shepherd, Jelly Legs, the honorary tot. The little dude doing all the rascally, naughty things. I liked what I did with uh, dude there, by the way. That's, that's, I thought that was really well done. I don't know if you guys appreciate it. And then we have Mr. Fusspot and his jam-smeared, binky-sucking, heart-melting, baby-face-defiant cronies. That's the wolf pack currently stirring up mischief in the inner terrain of the Henri Tot. And then we have the Heavenly Daddy. This is different than the Daddy, the earthly Daddy. This is the Heavenly Daddy. The spirit of the one true good shepherd that stands behind daddy and corrects daddy as he labors to bring correction to the honorary taught. Now, what's hard for daddy is that that behavior in the honorary taught is bad. And so, as a good daddy, he needs to address that behavior. But there's two things going on he has the taught, the child, and he has something that is controlling that taught. And he has to know how to separate out the two. And how to whack the one that's controlling the tot and how to save the tot. Do you see that? This is hard. This is hard stuff. It's called shepherding. The intriguing plot. Isn't this fun? Jelly legs, that's the tot, has done something rather mischievous, rascally, and naughty. Can you? I, I know this probably doesn't relate to any of you out there that have kids. But just try and work with me here. Daddy, in the position of shepherd, is tasked with the job of rescuing him. That's my job. Child, eh, eh, in need. I'm the shepherd. Wolf, after him. What am I going to do? His objective, to correct the mischief and teach little jelly legs how to properly live. His problem, jelly legs, has jelly legs. You ever tried to discipline a child, and when you set them on their feet, they go like this, and you lift them up, and you're like, you're going to stand here... And they go like that. Yeah, as a parent, that can really get you, and you can find yourself using your rod incorrectly. The plot thickens as Mr. Fusspot arrives on the scene with his horde of sticky-faced cronies and storms into the inner sheep pen of jelly legs. Oh, no! What will Daddy do? Will he prove a good shepherd, or will he prove a dud? Will he yield to the heavenly daddy or will he attempt to pull off this impossible mission all by his lonesome? Let's find out as we explore the next exciting episode of how easy it is to be a duddy daddy. It is very easy to do it bad, to do it wrong. Very easy. Any of us in here that are parents can recognize that and can confess that. It is easy to do it wrong, but it takes supernatural grace to do it right. And every single one of us as believers has been given everything we need to do it right. So actually, there's no excuse for remaining a duddy daddy when you recognize that you've been given grace. The two dud tendencies of the shepherd, to underreact, to overreact. That sweet balance between is really sometimes difficult to get. To underreact. So what would it look like if daddy gives uh, underreacts to jelly legs so give jelly legs the honorary tot whatever he wants you ever seen that I want an ice cream cone and they yell at the top of their lungs and then you give jelly legs the ice cream cone to get him to calm down and many of you in here some of you may have done it I don't know but if you've ever seen that you're like oh that's not good that's not good because you can just hear how loud he's going to scream next time avoid the confrontation at all costs flee from the wolves let the wolves have them just give him what he wants. Throw the ice cream cone to him. Let him have their way with the naughty little dude. To overreact, hire your own wolf pack. Many of us as fathers have done this. It's like, what's harming the little tot? A wolf pack. So what do you do? You go out and hire your own wolf pack. It's the flesh is what it is. Note, the hot, anger driven spanking machine and his frothing at the mouth rage fills flesh empowered cronies are typically available for immediate hire at a moment's notice. And turn them loose on the little dude. Yell, spit, snarl, and generally make a fool of yourself, hoping that your parental fury will somehow wake this honorary tot up and cause him to somehow, some way, grow up into a marvelous picture of Jesus Christ. That will work. Mysterious option number three, to react in perfect stride with the good shepherd. What's the good shepherd want in this moment? See, he's not going to, we know, he's not going to have you hire the wolf pack. He's also not going to have you throw a bucket of ice cream at the screaming kid. So what is he going to do? But how does one do that? Introducing my big fat Greek word This is a big, fat Greek word. I've taught on this actually quite a few times. It's a great word. Look at that word. That is a word. And there's a word. uh, I'm going to pronounce it for you just to impress some of you in here that uh, sort of wonder if I have any intelligence after this message. (laughs) Huberentukano. See, some of you impressed with that? That's a big, fat Greek word. It's actually one of the most amazing words, as far as I'm concerned, in the entire Bible to describe how the gospel of Jesus Christ engages in a practical way with us as believers. Okay, Jesus, I believe you. I have come to the cross. I've been saved. I'm washed clean, set free. My sins have been paid for. I have an eternal home in heaven. Praise God. Now, how do I live down here? So how do I deal with the honoree taught down here? What do I do? Do I have anything, or do I have to muster up the strength to handle the honoree taught? Is it up to me to discern, to have wisdom for all these things? Because this is overwhelming for me. I got a pack of wolves coming after me and my home. How am I supposed to deal with this? It wasn't supposed to be you. You see, the secret of Christianity is that you are set free, your home is cleared out. The old man no longer rules so that a new man can rule. You are meant to be ruled, to be owned, to be operated. By God himself. That's the word. Kano. So, one of my best illustrations for how hupurintukano works is the putt-putt green. Now, my kids are old enough now that this is past tense. It's sort of sad because this was uh, the fun days. Remember, you, if, you go, if you have little kids and you go to the putt-putt green, and they don't know even how to hold the thing, right? And so they're just swinging around and knocking the, the leaves off of a bush. And you're like, no, 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 come over here. All right, it's your turn. And so they hit the ball into the bush. You know, it's like, no, no, you're supposed to hit it down along here. There's a hole down there. A windmill, you're supposed to get it through that. And so what I will typically do after they try a few times, and they're like, Daddy, I don't know how to do it. And they're really losing their vision for it, right? Because everyone else is going off, Hudson's getting it in. And they're like, what is this? I don't like this. I want to keep up with Hudson. So do you want Daddy's help? So they agree. And so I lean over them. I, I hover over them. It's actually what the word huper in means. The huper, it's hyper, actually means to oversee, to come over someone. And then, "entukano" in means intercession. It actually means to help and to use your strength to solve someone else's issue, to protect them, to enable them. So what you have is the superintending father who fixes their hand on the putt-putter and says, here we go, here we go. And it goes in the hole. Guess what? Now Hudson's going, Hey, Daddy, I want you to help me. You see, the secret to Christianity is us allowing God to Hooper and to cano, our parenting, our shepherding. If you thought this was up to you, you're in for a really dire surprise. You cannot pull this off. It is impossible to get that hole in one. And yet God says you need to make it in one. It's like, what? I... That's unfair. That's an unjust measurement for me as a leader. Yeah, You have to get it in. Well, God, I can't do that. He goes, I know you can't. What do you mean you know I can't, but you still command me to do it? Eric, shh. Will you allow me to huperan chuchano, to fix your hands on the putt-putter, and to putt this life? Will you allow me to do it? But, God, i got an ornery Shh. Here, Eric, let me come in and govern you. Right now, you're governed by your emotions. Would you give that to me? Settle down, trust me, turn heavenward, and let me put this one for you. The overshadowing daddy. Hooper and Tuchana, what a word. The shadowing, superintending, paternal intercession of a stronger party for a weaker party. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. We have them as shepherds, we have those weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You see, the Holy Spirit literally wants to govern our life and enable us to do this. The world needs the return of strength. That's a fact, guys. I don't, some of you have felt that. You look around and you're like, Where's, where are the people that are willing to stand up for truth? Boy, we're mealy-mouthed these days. So we need the return of strength. But let's clarify something. It, but, it doesn't need we, but it doesn't need the return of weaker vessel smashers. You know that the, uh, the feminist agenda, feminism, has a basis in reality. And that is vessel smashing men. What does it lead to? It leads to women rising up and saying, no, I'm not going to get smashed. You know what? It makes sense. However, that doesn't make it more Right just because it makes sense of why they are swinging to the opposite side does not necessarily correct a global problem. What would really help is for shepherds to be like Christ, to lay down their life for the weaker vessel. Well, guess what? Feminism can't stand in in, in light of such love, in, in light of such mercy and strength. It's the right sort that melts a bride. The world needs the return of shepherds. But it, is not, but it is in need of good ones and not dud ones. This world needs shepherds of the heavenly variety. Shepherds with their heavenly daddy's hands covering theirs as they swing the almighty rod. The art of clonking wolves and comforting sheep. How we do this, and I, I tell you what, this is, this is my daily job description. Not just in a church environment, because that's what it oftentimes feels like when I say something like that. If I say wolves, then you immediately think, oh, false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing, which is not incorrect, but I also am living at the level of my individual life. You know that I need to shepherd my own soul and my own body, thoughts that try and come in. I need to know how to clunk the ones that are trying to uh, undermine the integrity of my life, and I need to learn how to truly embrace the Word of God and the truth and the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. In my marriage, in my family, I have multiple organizations, if you want to say it that way, that I'm over. And in each one, I'm providing shepherding leadership. And in each one, I need to have God, The reason this is important for me is because even though I know that intellectually, I can still start to rely on my own leadership acumen my own leadership moxie to do it. Okay, God, I think I have this figured out now. You don't need to help me with the putt-putting anymore. No, 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 no. Eric gets into trouble the moment he starts doing that. I need today the same to grace that I had in the beginning. And if I'm going to continue this, I need to return to first things and allow the gospel to work through me afresh unto right living. So, That idea of clonking wolves and comforting sheep, there's a Greek word for it. It's proistemi. It means to superintend, preside over, protect and guard, to care for and give attention to. One of the ways historically I've described it is to rule with steel and cool water. It sounds funny, but there's a time when you need to draw your sword as a man. And you stick it to the neck of the wolves. And there's a time when you need to draw a cup of cool water. You know that we're commanded to do both. So you need to know which one's which in each situation because we are supposed to supply a cup of cool water to those that are in need. And it's actually a very important aspect of our expression as leaders. But it is also to draw a sword. So me is actually the operative word that is given to bishops, deacons, elders, fathers, and husbands. This is a governmental word. You are to clonk wolves and comfort sheep. It's basically what it's saying. You need to know when to draw your sword Slice and dice. And you need to know when to draw the cup of cool water. You need to know when to be strong and when to be soft. That's the art of shepherding. Paul's charge. Proistome well. Man be steel when steel is required and be soft when softness is needed. One that rules well. Proistomies well his own house. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. This is the one that is put in charge of the church. For if a man know not how to proistome his own house... How shall he take care of the church of God? You see, if he's not doing this in his own body, in his own marriage, in his own family, well, then he's not fit to rule the church of Jesus Christ. First things first. Let shepherd well in the small areas. Let the deacons be husbands of one wife, ruling, proistamine, their children in their own house well. Let the elders that rule to proistamine well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. These are the men that clonk wolves well and that comfort sheep well. They know when to be the comforter and when to be the protector. And sometimes it's one fluid movement. With a clonk of the wolf, you're also protecting and shielding your sheep. That's what the cross is. The cross is literally Jesus bringing condemnation and judgment to the devil and clonking his head. Smashing it is the better term for it in my opinion. At the same time, rescuing his sheep. It's the cross. It's the shepherd's work. Proistomy, the shepherding grace is available in unlimited measure in Christ. So if you feel a little short-changed on the proistomy side, being able to do this shepherding thing, and I don't care if it's just shepherding your own body, your own thought life. You have unlimited access to the grace of God to be able to do it right. A word to shepherds. So if you're a shepherd at any level in here, this is a word for you. Live in an understanding way with the weaker vessels. Take the blame as a leader. Allow the onus for imperfection to fall squarely upon your shoulders and don't stick it on anyone else. Let the good shepherd overshadow you and train you how to wield the heavenly strength Christ has supplied you. A word to sheep, which of course fits all of us. Live in an understanding way with those learning to walk in the strength and authority of heaven. So just as much as I want to exhort the shepherds in here to be good shepherds and to take responsibility and not to put blame anywhere else, but to be willing to accept it and to change. I also want to encourage the sheep to live in an understanding way with those learning to walk in the strength and authority of heaven. It's hard. And this is not just an obvious thing. When you become a leader, it's not just always obvious what you should do. Most of the time, it's not obvious. And you have to spend a lot of time praying, a lot of time seeking scripture to just understand, to discern, to get the wisdom of God for that particular situation. A lot of time in our leadership meetings, uh, I've said, okay, guys, let's get out our Proverbs. Let's just get it out on the table. We have a situation that I do not have an obvious solution for. Let's get our Proverbs out and start reasoning through the wisdom of God. God has said that if we ask for wisdom, he will give it. But that's what you go through as a shepherd. In parenting, I tell you what, how many times you come to that point, that impasse Where the book you just read doesn't even come close to touching the need you have. You feel alone, like no one actually understands what it means to parent this child. And you'd be right, that's a unique child. Yeah, they still have the same stuff of sin that that everyone deals with, but this is a unique challenge. So what do you need? You need unique grace and unique wisdom. But you still have it, and that's the key. So live in an understanding way with those that are trying to figure this out. Please be quick to forgive shepherding mistakes, for there are often many. And please choose to champion the shepherds' cause and support them in their difficult work. If we were able to do this from both sides, nothing can stop us as a body. If the shepherds become haughty and proud, it'll kill the body. If the sheep become hostile and critical, kills the body. However, if the shepherds are humble And loving and merciful. And even when they do wrong, they humbly acknowledge it and they say, I want to do it better next time. And if the sheep are like, I understand that your job is difficult and I want you to know that this grace is ceaseless in flowing from me to you. Because what you can follow in a church is humility. You can't follow pride. If you sense pride is leading a church, I wouldn't blame you for saying, I think we need to consider another location. However, if you know that humility is leading a church, even if it be imperfect, you know what? You can follow humility. Because if it's humble before the word of God and it's willing to be corrected, that's an environment that the Spirit of God can kindle his fire in. Father, I ask that you would take the essence, the substance of this message and drive it home for us as individuals. Whatever it means for us if it means repentance, if it simply means encouragement, Lord, I pray that we would each grab a hold of it and use it as a truth given to us from heaven. Lord, teach us as a body and grow us strong. We
0: love you and trust
1: you. Amen.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Looney, delivered at the church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.